Hello, this is Matt Barone, the worship pastor here at Glenelg Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, October 2nd, 2022. Hey, everybody. I'm John Vanderbilt, the executive pastor. Hi, I'm Simone Halpin, executive director of Naomi's House. And I'm Kelly Brady, senior pastor here at Glenelg Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to the Next Level Podcast. Good morning. 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 We should say at the top, if you hear some uh, construction in the background, they're doing some work in the building, so. Correct. Went from outside the building to in the building. (laughs) What uh, what are they doing today? Hopefully fixing uh, some water issues we have in the basement. Yep. So hopefully, hopefully Hopefully everybody that lives in the suburbs, uh, particularly Glen Ellen and Wheaton, Hmm. knows the... Yeah, knows the, the drill. Knows the pain. <laughs> yeah. Anthony um, fixed our sump pump in our very own home yesterday with his bare hands. Woo. In a roller duct <laughs> Doesn't tape. that make you want to throw up a little bit? <laughs> well, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. It could does have been much a, worse. Does he do a lot of stuff no, around the house? No, he gets real he, lucky. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Does, does he terrible. like to just jump in and try stuff? Well, when your basement, it had, there was a little bit of standing water oh. in our basement and it stunk. Yeah. So we knew we were in trouble yeah. if he didn't act fast. Yeah. Thankfully, I wasn't home, so I couldn't help. Every yeah. time yeah. you're bummer, you yeah. come home. I mean, I would have been right there with him for sure. You know, sometimes we find ourselves coveting, you know, houses with upstairs or basements or whatever, a little more space. But when there's heavy rain yeah, right. and I'm driving home, I'm like, yeah, I kind of like living on a ranch, in a ranch mm-hmm. on a slab. You don't have a basement? Oh, gosh, no. Oh, okay. No. I didn't no. know that existed in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, a ranch road, lots of ranches, yeah. lots of slabs. I see that. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's really. Why Although <laughs> we're not immune to water issues, I know there's some houses uh, who are on slabs where the say, water I've can seen, come up. I've seen houses up the on the street have water come right through the and, and then sliding door on the back yeah. of the house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fun, fun. You know, when you build a town for like five million people. On a swamp. (laughs) This is what happens. All these retention ponds everywhere. Yeah. So, yeah, man. Uh, So uh, yesterday was a good Sunday. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Man, uh, one of the things I loved was how. um, I mean, you know, we we plan together, but we're not. We don't hyper plan together, Right. right? And so, like, I don't read through his sermon before Sunday. I don't tell you what songs to select. Yeah, but (laughs) but man. the spirit just showed up and connected a bunch of really fun things yesterday. Yeah. I was just encouraged. Yeah. Yeah, I thought Adam's but communion that, linked yeah. perfectly. I know, right? Having mm-hmm. Adam do communion. Well, he did a great mm-hmm. job. He yeah. did. He sent it to me and I read through it and I was like, yeah, this mm-hmm. is great. Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to this. And he was, it was, it was the perfect amount of, of, of a little bit of funny and personal story <laughs> and then getting right into he some He does so meat. well up front, yeah. Yeah. And that was, man, yeah, that was, uh, I don't know. He, that's his first time leading communion, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's been up on the platform for leading worship. Yeah, like as in a part of the band. But yeah, yeah, yeah. He he's my brother-in-law. That's mm-hmm. right. And we were at a wedding on Saturday together, and and uh, he was a little bit, you know, he didn't know how it was going to go. Not, I wouldn't say nervous, but just like he's like, I don't really do that kind of thing, you know. He's like, I'm a cellist. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> cellists. We just. We just fit in. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. We're just yeah. a part of the group. So but, you know, when you talk to him, he's a really interesting guy, and he's really insightful. Yeah, super and intelligent. So we want to find folks like that and yeah. give them leadership opportunities. That's great. I yeah, thought it was a home awesome. run. He, did he great. leads uh, with in a group with me, uh, the Restore Group. He's a part of the leadership of that. Oh, and, nice. Yeah. 
All right, we got questions yep. today. Let's get into them. All right, first one. I've been, I've been wondering generally, what questions should a Christian ask themselves to confirm evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in their life? Is this uh, like a... This came in late a hangover uh, last question week. Yeah. Last week? A hangover question. I don't think that's, that's what you... <laughs> kind of. It, it, I mean, that's the right word. Right? It was a straggler. It, it came in late. Over. It doesn't, hangover doesn't always mean... Usually. Usually, <laughs> but it doesn't mean... It doesn't always mean <laughs> anyway, that you yes. drank the night before. <laughs> anyway, it was a straggler. It came in late. Uh, I think it actually had to do with two Sundays ago. Um, and I, I think you could at, ask and answer any number of questions to, to discern whether or not the Spirit of God's at work in your life. There could be potentially dozens. I think the it all comes. It, it would all come down to whether or not fruit is increasing in your life. Uh, the Spirit wants to increase His fruit in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is the Spirit's fruit, and so he, we know He's at work in our lives when that list in Galatians five verses sixteen to twenty-six is increasing: love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness self-control then we know it is it's increasing in our lives john what are you doing <laughs> just sharing the definition of a hangover with everyone the first one the first definition something such as a surviving custom that remains from what was the past so not the disagreeable physical effects following having consumption of alcohol <laughs> you, at any you, rate you people i interrupted go ahead yeah, I think that we can take comfort that the Spirit's at work in our life as the fruit is increasing. There are some questions I think we could ask ourselves that um, lead to an increase in the Spirit's fruit. Like, um, do we see an increased relevance in Jesus? And Jesus said of himself, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And, and if we have in our experience, daily experience, that we're, we're more and more seeing how Jesus, following him is the wisest way to live, that he has the answers, that he provides for us clarity, direction, guidance, then that's a spirit outcome. That's, a, that's an outcome of the Holy Spirit. If we're seeing with greater and greater clarity that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, I, I also think scripture, do we are we increasingly turning to scripture for answer? A long time ago, I'm going to say 20 years ago, I had somebody ask me what I thought was a telling question. The question was this. In the last few weeks, what in your life have you changed because you've been reading God's word? And so if we're seeing increasingly that scripture is in fact God-breathed, 2 Timothy 3.16, that it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us in righteousness, then there should be things that we're changing as a result. Um, so the relevance of Jesus day to day, uh, an increasing appetite, interest in Scripture, and turning to Scripture for answers, all the Spirit's work. And then finally, I would say, are we fighting the good fight? Are we actively resisting evil in the world? And that's personal evil, i.e. temptation. But that's also community-level evil. I think of, Simone, your leadership in our community and the opportunity that we have 
to partner with Naomi's house and be a part of overcoming mm-hmm. evil in the world at a broader somebody came up after one of the services and was concerned about some spiritual warfare in their home some stuff going on in their home with some folks they were living uh, that they're living with and um, and I just talked about the importance of fighting the good fight are you wearing the armor of God are you resisting temptation um, are you active in prayer um, so the spirit will lead us into battle mm-hmm. that's where the spirit will lead us um, um, to confront evil in the world because frankly that's you know that's a lot of what that is that is the trajectory of the world the, you know eschatologically we're headed towards a conflict where God overcomes the, the work of Satan in the world mm-hmm. and so we can expect and need to fight the good fight if the spirit's at work in our lives do you like the idea of praying that the spirit would show himself to us because whether we there's evidence of him in our, our life or not doesn't negate the fact that he if you're a believer mm. you know if you have a your faith in Jesus we are aren't we promised that the holy spirit is with us yes yeah yes so i i'm i so like you're, this. you're you'd be concerned that someone would say gosh i don't see any of all this going on in my life yeah or i i also i love what you're saying and i'm thinking um i also don't want it to be dependent on me to know if the spirit's in our life. I know it's, I know he's there regardless if yeah. I'm doing anything to see it or not. And no. so I, le- I, I'm encouraged by all that you said and th- think I would just in my own personal life also say, show, show me where you are, mm. Lord, because I know. Yeah, encourage me with that. Yeah. Show me the fruit and the evidence. If you're praying that prayer, uh, people don't pray that prayer apart from the spirit's work in their life. Mm. You know, the interest in assessing whether or not the Holy Spirit's at work is an example of the Holy Spirit at work. Yeah. That's encouraging. <clears throat> so can I ask you some questions about that? Mm-hmm. This will be good. <laughs> Are we going back to... Do you think the Holy Spirit <laughs> can work in, in and through people's lives that don't know Jesus? Absolutely. Thank goodness. Balaam's donkey, right? The talking <laughs> even donkey. Even a donkey. Even a, even a donkey. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Rahab... Well, mm-hmm. she's in a question and answer a little bit later. Oh, uh, but I love Rahab. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think of yeah. Daniel's work in Babylon mm-hmm. um, and how God was concerned for Nebuchadnezzar and, and was working in Babylon. And Babylon's a pagan nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Jews were told to, to settle in. You're going to be here 70 years and, and bless this community. And, yeah. That's good. All right, let's go to the next one. Can you review the difference between a faithful church and a successful church? John, you and I were talking about this a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I, again, this is, a, as John would like to say, a hangover question. This came in a little <laughs> bit you, late. Thank you, Kelly, for the appropriate use of the word hangover. <laughs> <laughs> this came in a little bit late, so I actually think it was about two Sundays ago. Um. I see. You, did you write some notes down here, John? I did write good. some notes. I did my job. Great. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm I'll, a participant. I'll, good. I'll start out and you jump in. <laughs> I, first of all, I want to say uh, the juxtaposition of faithful and successful. First of all, let's, let's be really clear. Faithful is our calling, but there's nothing wrong with success uh, as long as it's defined biblically. So I'd rather be a successful church than an unsuccessful church. Yeah, right. For sure. But success is usually defined by fairly shallow markers if we're not careful. For example, attendance. 
And we really can't judge a church based on how many people are sitting in the church on any given um, worship service. So I want to—I certainly want to see attendance increase at Glowing Bible Church. I believe that would be the will of the Lord. But I want to see attendance increase as a result of more people uh, actively sharing their faith with non-believers, inviting them to church, and non-believers coming closer to Jesus Christ. So generally speaking, I would say faithful churches prioritize some stuff that is that helps them stay away from the shallow end of defining success as a church. So um, faithful churches would prioritize the gospel over, and this is going to be pejorative, but the gospel over entertainment. And, and no church is going to, is going to admit they want to entertain. Um, but there are some things that we can be drawn into in platform ministry or programming where we default, if we're not careful, to making sure everybody's having a good time sure. rather than ministering the gospel. So the faithful churches are going to prioritize the gospel, uh, realizing the gospel's going to alienate some. But some people don't like to hear that they're sinful in need of a savior to trust in another man, uh, Jesus, for salvation. So uh, uh, faithful churches are going to emphasize depth over breadth. Now, again, I, I would love to see the breadth of our ministry increase. I'd love to see more people coming to faith in Christ. But Depth is, is a recognition that we're called to make disciples, not simply gather a crowd. In some, some churches, if you're not careful, and it could, it's very tempting in, in church ministry work to put your emphasis on growing a bigger attendance. So depth over breadth, and then finally fruit over gifts. There is some pressure in in the church, historic, we see it in, in the church in Corinth, but even in the modern church, to, to platform gifted people. We don't want our preaching to be boring. We don't want our, our vocalists to sound bad. You say gifting, not necessarily spiritually gifted. Every gift. Yeah. Right. Every, every talent. So any talent you bring to bear at Glowing Bible Church, um, it's, easier to give, it's easy to give emphasis and inappropriate emphasis to the exercise of gifts talents, abilities over fruit, the increase of uh, the transformation of the character, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And we need to give a prioritization to the development of fruit. We don't want to ignore the gifts. Yeah, right. First Corinthians 14, one, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. what do you think, Johnny? Yeah, I, <clears throat> you and I have talked about, you know, what's appropriate to measure or not measure. You know, we, we have lots of those kind of conversations, right? I think it's interesting to think about what does a, a successful church in my mind is the is the faithful church and so churches the way that we measure or evaluate a church shouldn't be the same way that we measure and evaluate other like, an, like a, a business a, yeah like a business or some other enter, enterprise because it's a totally unique entity established by god and in a way that other things are not right like it has its own um its own standing, its own purpose. It's just totally, totally unique. And so there's, there can be some pushback there, right? Like, well, yeah, we're faithful, so don't evaluate us on anything. <laughs> we're totally different. Stop asking us about attendance and giving and who's in programs and number of baptisms and number of salvations and you know all those sorts of things. So there is an appropriate level of measure. Like yeah. we have to be measuring to see if, you know, because we do believe that 
that there will be some fruit at some point in some way yeah. because of our faithfulness. If you see no fruit, no change, no growth, no, then you would, I would be questioning, you know, at Why some not? point, right. yeah, what's going on now? Again, we need to be, we need to be careful because there's a lot of churches that are small, that struggle week to week financially. Average are, size of a church in America is 80 people. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That, that are, you know, they're faithful. Yeah. I was talking with a guy on Friday. He's a denominational uh, guy. I won't say the denomination, but there's 110 churches in their region, which is like Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Illinois, Indiana. Upper Midwest. Yeah, Upper Midwest. And there's 110 churches in there, and there's only six full-time youth pastors in all those churches. And he was saying, we're concerned because yeah. <laughs> that's kind of the next... Yeah, youth ministry matters. Yeah, that's kind of the next... How, how it's the future. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, like the students in the church are the church today, but they're also the, the leaders of the church in the future. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I, I give that as an example of that's something that they're measuring. How, how, where are the students? How come we don't have you know youth ministry people working in these churches? So anyway, I don't know. I think the the measure, the call for the church. I go to you know First Timothy three fifteen, right? The church is the pillar and foundation of truth, of the truth for the world. And we're holding up the truth, and we're showing the world the truth. That's what being faithful is. And that may drive people away <laughs> in some situations. Um, so measuring that and saying, okay, you're, you're, you're doing that well, but you're actually facing persecution. You mean there's churches that are struggling as they hold up the, so I don't know. I think it's how we define success around a church is we need to be really thoughtful, careful. Um, yeah. it, it can be easy to compare church a to church b and say wow look at look at i mean they're huge and they're growing and they're doing this and they're doing this and why aren't we seeing any of that you know it can be easy to get into those those traps people church shop around here a lot which that phrase is kind of rough to hear but you know that you can get in okay well, what'd you like about that place well maybe we should do a little bit more of that because they got more people or we should do a little bit more of that because it's you know yeah. you just need to be really careful with that kind of stuff yeah you know, we had a good conversation uh, last week. I met with some area worship pastors, and this question came up, and I can kind of talk about this question and boil it down to our specific, you know, worship ministry. Uh, but, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's our job, it's a worship pastor's job to basically to decide, like, where the line is of execution, right? Like, and that's going to depend on a lot of different things. It's going to depend on your church size, what, you know, like, you got to sing, you need to get together and sing. Mm-hmm. But if you're a church of 30, then you have limited options. If you're a church of 1,000, you have more options, right? So, um, so we have to decide where that line is of execution. And we decide where that line is of execution because if you're below it, it's a distraction or it can be a distraction. And we don't want to distract. We want to try to have everyone's lenses be as clear as possible on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And so, but then... Once you're above that line, now you have these other questions to bring up. How important now is 
how high on the spectrum of execution do you get? Because <laughs> I could go out tomorrow and hire someone for three or 400 bucks on a Sunday and they could sing circles around me. Like they would, they, they would blow you away, you know? But um, it, there's something uh, more impactful and more meaningful, in my opinion, that happens when you are led by folks that you know. I mean, we have, we have worship leaders in our ministry that are, uh, you know, some are professionals, some are, you know, they're in the uh, financial sector, they're stay-at-home moms, they're um, wh- whatever they do, you know, they're all over, the, but they're not professional musicians, but they are above that line. I would rather have somebody who is in the community, serving faithfully, who that people know them, they know their lives, and they're above that line rather than bring in somebody who is just a complete just dynamo. So, and you know so, what I mean? So this is this gets back to we value, we prioritize fruit over gifts. And the reason we like, let's call her Jane Doe, yep. who's a homemaker, we like her to use her gifts rather than hiring a professional vocalist is because we 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 see her know her, she's a part of her community of faith and we see the fruit of God exactly in her life. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, but there does have to be that line, yeah. of, yeah. and that's where the conversations come in of, yeah. you know, success and, and yeah. you know excellence or whatever you know, however you want to frame that. But it was a good it was a good conversation. Uh, it for, seems it seems like you're painting a picture of there's like two ditches on the side of the road. Mm. Like the one is like anybody that wa- you know I can sing, and they get up there and it's like whoa that's just a distraction. The other <laughs> side is <laughs> is you know I am a hired you know professional singer and that can also be a distraction it's like all i'm focused on is how crystal clear and perfect everything is and and now i've gone into the other ditch right sure you want to be somewhere in the middle where you know yeah that's yeah we don't want a performance element right to our worship experience yeah Mm -hmm. I get this question a lot, uh, and it's so hard to define in terms of what is success. And I, I, I think because I find it so hard, I actually don't even like using the word, like, is Naomi's house successful or what's your success rate or what? I, I get that a lot. And I think there, I'm sure there's some parallels to the church where it's hard to measure people's growth. It's really hard. It's like holding water. Like what looks like somebody is... Um, benefiting or growing in their faith because of your or the church's programs and thoughtfulness mm-hmm. and intentionality is going to look a lot different than somebody else. Yeah. And so to to capture that, you know, and report it, or um, and and even you want to be able to to speak to the things that are happening, but to call it success, I feel like is just it gives me pause. And I think it's from what you were originally saying, this idea that it's very, it feels like a business uh, kind of black and white metrics as opposed to um, what I say. (laughs) I tried it when someone asks me, what's the successful rate of Naomi's house? I always answer, well, if one woman is off the street for one night, do we not count that as a success? Um, And so I try to curve the conversation to, um, are we effective? Are we doing work that is um, proving to be effective in life change and long-term, you know, long-term life change and transformation? Or are we just, you know, running on a hamster wheel and not doing anything effective? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, 
I I know there's a, it's an important aspect of leadership to quite, to look at what we're doing. Is it effective? Mm-hmm. Is it successful? Or or whatnot? But it's also very hard. I just am saying it to you all. Like it's so hard to capture. Yeah life change through humans <laughs> like we're it just is. a mess and yeah. what looks like transformation for one person is going to look a lot different than another person so i don't I, know i had somebody this not too long ago ask um well where are we making disciples and can we count the number of disciples oh. we know where is discipleship happening how do we measure it when do we know mm-hmm. that discipleship is taking place and can we put a... You just know so much about that person just by that question. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. And, you know, and they're, honestly, their heart, I believe, is in the right place mm-hmm. in some way. But yes, you know mm-hmm. the framework in mm-hmm. which they, which they kind of come from and how they want to measure things or whatever. And, <laughs> and I said, well, let's put that framework on Jesus. When did Jesus know that his disciples were made? The moment he, he, they denied him when he died? Mm. Were, they, were they fully formed? Yeah. Man, you were ready for that question. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've wrestled with this for 22 years yeah. of full-time ministry, right? How do we measure spiritual growth? How yeah. do you measure discipleship? How do you measure effectiveness? Frankly, it's one of the really frustrating parts mm-hmm. of being a pastor, yeah. and being a spiritual leader. Totally. It, it can feel like you're shirking Accountability, right? Right, like, right. like well, you, you never, just don't want to measure. You don't want to measure anything because mm-hmm. you're not doing your. Well, mm-hmm. no, no, that's not mm-hmm. it. It's actually hard to measure. Yeah. It's actually difficult. So, for to example, measure. let's take Peter. You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Well done, hey Peter. Mm-hmm. You're fully formed. No, no, mm-hmm. uh, because he just denied him. Twenty hours yeah. later, then he, yeah. then he says. Then he tries to get Jesus off mission, and Jesus says to him, "Get thee behind me, mm-hmm. Satan." Same guy, mm-hmm. Peter. Then he denies him. Right. Mm-hmm. Then he gets restored, and then in Galatians, Paul has to rebuke him because he backslides. Right. <laughs> I mean, and he spent three and a half years, day in right. and day out, with the I think, Messiah. So, my, my point, people ask me all the time, how is church today? And I say, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Because <laughs> I, I just, I can't yeah. be in charge of no. everybody that attends yeah. and how it's going for them. Right. And again, there are some measures that can be helpful. Yeah. Numbers say something, they don't say everything. Yeah, right. that's what I was going to say. We measure at Naomi's house everything. Sure. Everything is totally. documented. We yes. measure everything. Now, what you do with that information and how you make well, informed yeah. decisions and changes mm-hmm. and learn from it, it's a totally, di- that's where it gets really difficult. Like, not How every- much weight do you give to that's right. this piece of data right Mm -hmm. and and i i just want to say to that person listening out there like we (laughs) spend as leaders really overseeing programs and um you know opportunities for people to engage in spiritual growth it's all i think about Mm -hmm. and so i'm sure it's all that you all think about too like i'm constantly thinking i am not doing this just for fun Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean there is this is a lot of work and it's a lot of sacrifice and if it's not working i will be the first to say shut her down you know what i mean let's make a change or make a change yeah Yeah. i mean i go to the extreme but yeah (laughs) shut her down shut her down it's over (laughs) put a fork in her yeah no i'm just but i just i I like the question because it, it, it yeah. shows that there's so much thoughtfulness and intentionality and in mm-hmm. the leadership here at this church, um, but it's so hard to nail down. I always want to be careful about not putting God on the hot seat, not, not questioning God. Because like, you know, for me, I frame it as what, what, what do we do that falls in the planting and watering category? And what are we involved with that falls under the growth category? Mm-hmm. 
right? Because we're in charge of the watering yeah. and the planting. God is in charge of the growing. Paul so planted the seed, Apollos watered yes. it, but God made it grow. Yes. Yeah. So let's, let's, when we're having like the conversation you just brought up, John, yeah. let's try to, to sift through what falls in that category and what falls in the other, the God category, mm-hmm. right? Cause, and you have to contextualize these things as well. Like, you don't want to put the same metrics on somebody working in a closed you know, That's hey, right. I- Iranian church planner, how many churches have you planted in the last 20 <laughs> totally, years? Right. Well, <laughs> one, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Right. and yeah. it's meeting underground, and it's eight people, and they all had dreams about Jesus, and we're just trying to figure it out, yeah. versus, yes. you know, somebody in a place, you know, where the 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 With, harvest is so plenty. And that the, there's church shopping. Yeah, there's <laughs> church shopping. <laughs> right. Correct, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we need to be yeah. really thoughtful yeah. about that kind of stuff. That's a great point. Uh, okay, let's go to the next one. Uh, why do you think Peter later failed to live according to what he learned in Acts 10? <laughs> and he cites <laughs> Galatians 2, 11 to 12. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Uh, Peter backslides later on, and he actually, so he, he gets this beautiful vision in Acts chapter 10, which was a part of the Sermon Sunday, and he goes to Cornelius' house, and Cornelius, by God's grace, becomes one of the first Gentile convert. And so now Gentiles are being included in, in the church. Peter later backslides on this beautiful revelation. He starts separating himself from Gentile believers. Peter himself, uh, Jewish, and and Paul confronts him. And he, he says, why are you doing this? Why are you acting as if Gentiles have to keep the law? Why are you separating yourself from them? And so I would say Peter backslides for the same reason that every other backslider backslides because they feel pressure by sin or by mm. sinners to cave to the revelation they received. In this case, it was the circumcision group, and it's mentioned in Galatians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul confronts him, and he says, the circumcision group has pressured you to treat Gentiles differently, and you know better than that. And Peter comes to his senses, he admits, he changes his ways, and he acts according to the revelation he'd been given in Acts chapter 10 again. But man, I, I think, you know, love Peter's story. We did a whole sermon series here a couple years ago on, the, on Peter's journey, yeah. and his waffling, the roller coaster of, of growth in his life should comfort us all. I had someone come up after one of the services and say, I'm so glad Peter get, got distracted when he prayed by something as mundane as hunger. <laughs> and I said, absolutely. We should, let's be careful not to pedestalize uh, these early believers. God did amazing things through them, but it was God who did amazing things through them. They were all pretty, pretty normal. Yep. All right, let's go to the next one. This is uh, on communion. There are lots of different views about exactly what is going on with communion. Catholics believe the bread and cup are actually transformed into the actual body and blood of Jesus. What does GEBC... What does GEBC believe exactly? Yeah, so the listener framed it pretty well. Catholics believe something called transubstantiation. Trans equals change. They actually believe the bread and the cup are changed into the physical, literal body and blood of Christ. If you've ever been to Mass, there's actually, as I understand it, I was in Mass a couple years ago, a bell that tolls. And when the bell tolls, it's up on the on the platform. Yeah, the, do you remember this? Oh, I used to ring it. You were the bell ringer. That Alter is the boy, yeah. that is the moment of 
when it's changed. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That, so I was doing, helping, okay, all yeah. right. You, were part you of the, changed. <laughs> no, I don't want to go there. I don't <laughs> so the bell tolls at the moment yeah. the elements of bread and cup are changed, Sorry, is my understanding. Uh, I forgot to do it one time. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Explains a lot. I got, <laughs> I got, ooh, I got chewed out. Really? Ooh. Oh, gosh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. All right, so that's this the 80s. It was the early 80s. There's Catholics, so trans, they believe it's changed. Lutherans believe in something called consubstantiation. Con equals together. So they believe that uh, Christ, his real presence, is in, with, and under. So together with the elements of the bread and cup. That it's not actually changed, it's not the physical, literal, but the real presence of Christ, the physical real presence, is all around it. And the example given by Luther had to do with when you put an iron in the fire, it turns red hot. The fire is in, with, and around it. It, it doesn't become fire, but it is transformed by the fire. Presbyterians believe in something called receptionism. That is the real spiritual, not physical, but spiritual presence is received through the elements. That would be the reformed world, the Calvin, Calvin's world. The Bible Church believes something called memorialism, that this is a memorial. It's a physical symbol. And low churches like Baptists would believe this, Bible churches, uh, the charismatic. It's representative. Yeah, it's figurative, metaphorical, representative. Uh, it's a reminder. It's a memorial to the, a memorial meal. Where'd you all grow up? You grew up in the covenantal world, right, John? Um, yeah. The Reformed? Yeah. Was it... Real spiritual presence was there a lot of emphasis put on it? Mm-mm. It was more of a more memorialism than receptionism. But there are churches that are even. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, like uh, the Episcopal Church or the Anglican Church, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and they you know they're under the it's the real presence, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so you'll see. Actually, I've seen multiple times even in our community where uh you know the leftover bread and has to be consumed right either has to be consumed or has to be poured into natural ground oh i didn't know that was an option okay yeah so that happens at times i there's stories of communion helpers (laughs) having having to get rid of the extra wine Hmm. and it not going well oh gosh (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't have a problem with the covenant or the Lutheran view as long as, and here would be the sticking point, you know, I'm so, I'm, I'm so thoroughly Protestant, as long as participation in communion doesn't become a work that justifies us before God. Right. Yeah. Salvific. Salvific work that you yeah. must participate in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you'll not go to heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Not to oversimplify it, but could it not be one of these is accurate as long as it doesn't to the point you make as long as we recognize it's not saving us yeah, i mean right. this isn't going to be it or would you maybe i shouldn't say this is it a deal breaker is what i'm asking you know it's not for bible church people and yeah. that won't surprise you it is yeah. a deal breaker for other people i see it is a deal yeah, breaker you, for the Catholics. You, yeah, if you're in, in yeah. uh description number one it's a deal the breaker. other descriptions don't don't cut don't cut it they don't count yeah. i do think transubstantiation is is a little strange yeah. If I'm going to be honest, I mean, I know. Yeah. And for them, it is a work. It's a sacrament. Uh, I was yeah. going to say, must they, they need, as a Catholic, you yeah. have to participate yes. in 
it's saving. It mm. works out your salvation. Yes. Mm. Yep. Who was it that was recently at a uh, Catholic funeral? Somebody on staff was recently at a Catholic funeral, and they oh, they didn't know whether to participate. And, well, yeah, that they did, but the, or, or they wrestled with it or something. But the um, priest said, "Well, we know he's in heaven because he took uh, communion." Wow. Yeah. Just um, once. Yeah, he took communion as a child. You know, oh. at his first... Oh, he made first communion. Yeah, oh, made first gotcha. communion okay. and, you know, the age of accountability. And then, yeah. Yeah. you know... Okay. And because he had taken that first communion, we know that he's in heaven today. Mm-hmm. Which is, that's difficult mm-hmm. uh, if, kind so of teaching, if, right? For what it's worth, we would say um, that we, we feel assured of our salvation because of Christ's work, right. not... Our work, yeah. right. our making First Communion, our keeping our wedding vows, which are also very important in the Catholic Church. It's another sacrament, the sacrament of wedding. And he uh, very well may be in heaven, but right. it's not because he yeah. took communion it, right. and ate the body and blood of Christ right. as right. a Child. 11-year-old yeah. or 12-year-old or whatever. But yeah. he's, anybody that's in heaven, and we'll get to this again in another, is there by gra- grace through faith in another person, yeah. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one more last thing to throw out there with Catholic Mass, especially if you are a Protestant or if you're not Catholic, when you're at Mass, one of the things they do, and I'm going to say that they do now, they've probably been doing it for a while, but they offer for communion, they offer a blessing if you don't want to receive the communion. So you can still go forward yeah. um, so you don't have to feel like, you know. I'm the guy in the pew uh, that can't get yes, up. Yes. Yeah. most Well, a lot of them will offer that for you to come forward and you can just receive a blessing from the priest, yeah. which is beautiful. It's mm-hmm. great. I, that's last time I was in a mass. I, that's what we did. Do you remember when uh, COVID hit it was like a local crisis yeah, because, yeah. The, because the governor closed churches. You couldn't meet for a number of weeks. But Catholics must. But Catholics take. had to meet to take communion yeah. um, for the... To remain in good standing. Yeah. Wow. And so it was, a, I remember it being a difficult, uh, difficult time. Well, what do they do? And then the church offered, what do they call that? Where it's like a uh, pardon of it. Like, yeah, what was uh, that? Ugh. I forget the, it was the word pardon. for it, but it basically saying it was a season of the 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 Pope, <laughs> yeah, and then all the bishops are declaring you don't have to take it. We're giving you a pardon, wow. yeah, over the next you know couple of of um, weeks well, or whatever until this, it, yeah. and then they did like the drive-through mm-hmm. communion, and yeah, mm-hmm. where they was it absolution? Is that yeah, the word? Yeah, something like that. Mm. All right, general absolution allowed during. Con- uh, COVID. Yeah. Anyway. Vatican says general absolution is still permissible. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I will say the high value of the body and blood of Christ is exemplary in the Catholic Church. Yeah. The, the priority, the, the focus is something that we could learn from. Now, it's, it's misguided and it's... Right. Speaking in, about ditches on either side of the yeah, road. Yeah, right. Yeah. Our yeah. church, the low church, that is the, we're less ceremonial, less sacramental, we can be in the ditch of not giving it its due. Right. right. And then we, you know, oh, it's once a month, the first Sunday of the month, and we kind of just check it off the list. No I big mean, deal. Right. right. We can fall into yeah. that trap of not giving it its, its weight. And there, is a, there is a reverence of God at mm-hmm. mass that I do enjoy. I do enjoy sure. that part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think, like what you're saying, Kelly, can be, we can be a little too casual sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. right? like, I actually know. think, Matt, you've done a great job with your call to worship of lately. The, um, the, I see you growing and you're growing us in setting, uh, we're here together in worship. And, yep. and last Sunday it was an emphasis on the Holy Spirit and 
and here's what we're, we're we're trusting in the Spirit's presence to bring transformation and clarity. And yeah, it was good. I think you've grown us in a reverence there. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's a it's a that's a fine line. It feels like to walk a, a little bit, you know, because um, we don't want to make people feel like they can't be here. You know, like they what however they showed up. <laughs> right. We don't want to make them feel like they you know they're not right. welcome or they're they're just out of place. You know. Okay, uh, let's go to the next one. Um, <clears throat> fascinating to think about the food laws making Israel strange to the surrounding nations. Besides communion, what other ways are Christians strange? <laughs> Do you want me to go? No, <laughs> no, go ahead. I, w- I wrote some thoughts here. I was just thinking of the food laws and how unique some of those were. We had a great conversation actually last night at home. Mm-hmm like after our small group mm-hmm. late at night when wow. everybody finally mm-hmm. came home and uh, why it was like an owl really was an owl a temptation <laughs> for, the, for the Jews to eat and all types of owls he's like I think there's there's like 21 or 24 the, the birds black. the red <laughs> yeah he, the small the great <laughs> we laughed because we were like yeah there's no a hawk you get temptation to catch a hawk and eat it. <laughs> you know, it's just interesting. Yeah. Yes, I think there was a, an element of um, clearly setting them apart from surrounding communities and what they ate. That was what we do it. Were, were you like, well, son, when there's no Marianos <laughs> yeah. to go to, a hawk looks pretty dang yeah. good. Right. <laughs> or if you've only been eating manna for so yeah, you long. you be looking yeah. at any and everything yeah. going. But it's interesting that there's some, there's multifaceted nature to what God was doing, right? I mean, some of those laws, I think there's there's hygiene at play. Like, there's certain things not to eat because, I mean, they list bats, and we know bats are an issue. Today, bats, you shouldn't eat Carry bats. disease, they, right. Yeah, there are clean and unclean um, animal, the, the idea of blood and the, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, but this, the setting apart of the significance, you know, there's laws in there, don't eat an animal who's still alive. Mm-hmm. Hmm. The blood is still flowing through the ant, which is really gross and gruesome. But that's it. That's a way of establishing uh, a humane treatment mm-hmm. of animals. It's an ethic. It's it an could e- be an ethic. E- it's an ethic. It's it's all a part of God establishing this life for life. Mm-hmm. Honor that and and um, and the the substitutionary atonement that will come through Christ. There's the the not eating. It was in your your pet. don't eat a dead animal. If you find a dead animal, carcass. don't eat it. That's probably that's good practice, guys. <laughs> generally, <laughs> just generally, <laughs> don't eat like, roadkill. Like when your kids are little and they're and you're trying to explain to them how they got a hamburger, and you know, yeah. and then you want to say, "Well, they died a good old age, natural causes." You know, <laughs> no, don't eat that. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it's, there's multi, multi-faceted nature so, and, to it. And I'm sure you've noticed, John, you've done quite a bit of reading, but uh, I took a completely different tact. I did you, not get into... You, could, you shouldn't have. The no. point that you were making was spot on. It was about yeah. being different, about being strange. Holy. about Yeah, about Children being of God, holy. chosen, yeah. set apart. This was one part of, yeah. of that. I there were other those, things, too. But. It's interesting the birds listed as unclean all of them are meat eaters yeah. or uh, carnivores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And birds of prey. Birds of prey. Yeah. And so the turkeys, notion- chickens, yeah. ducks, all game, good, all good. good to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So how are Christians strange? How, 
Let me ask. I mean, I spend, let's, a, let's, I spend a time with a lot of Christians. <laughs> <laughs> let's make this personal. How do you feel strange culturally mm. because of God's call upon your life? The denim jumpers and the bonnets <laughs> that my kids. <laughs> the buttons only, no zippers. <laughs> These are bad jokes. We shouldn't make. I mean, jeez, we you know we were just at a high school reunion a couple weeks ago, and we <laughs> <You> stuck out. <laughs> we actually, uh, there was one person in particular who actually got like physically upset mm. that we would not participate in taking a shot with her. And I, I don't have an issue if you have a shot. I really don't. We just we just didn't want that for us. Like I don't yeah. I don't want to take a shot any anymore. Like that's not. Part of you, yeah, you know, I don't right. want to go from zero to sixty, and uh, and they they really got upset, like we were judging them, you know, yeah. and mm. it was it was uncomfortable. So let's let's net that out. So in in how you care for your body, yes, in how you maintain yep. sobriety. Yep. Well, I think too. There's an element it, of there's a entertainment party social thing that. You know, you got to be careful with how you're going to interact with that kind of stuff. Like you said, I mean, having a drink is not a right huge issue for you, but it's it's you've you've joined in that that scene that might not go somewhere where you want to be. Right, right, right. And you might not go there, but if you're a part of the scene and others go there, then you're a part of the scene. Right. Yeah. We had just decided in the moment, like this isn't something that we want to do. Like I said, I'm not condemning anybody who has had a shot. It's not it's not about that. No. But it was just one of those moments where it's like, oh wow. Because if, if there was ever a, a situation, it's yeah, like a right. high school reunion where people are really, you know, putting them back and there's this atmospheric party vibe, let's relive the past thing going on. And we're kind of like, yeah, no, don't really, not going to do that. <laughs> Leave the past <laughs> in the past. I think of entertainment choices, you know, what media we consume and where we go, what we are a part of. And I think wrestling with modesty mm. is um, a call on our lives as Christians. Um, and modesty in speech, in dress. Um, in purchasing. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Conspicuous consumption, mm-hmm. you know, such that, you know, I, I draw, t- to be immodest is to draw attention to yourself. And you can do that in your speech habits. You can do that in your clothing mm-hmm. habits, in your, in your lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. I keep, I'm just trying to think like, it's very hard to do to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, but there's like a handful of women in my life who aren't believers. who I'm very close to, and I keep thinking, what would they say? Like what, what makes you different? Yeah. About how strange, what, or you are? strange really is the word <laughs> yeah. here, but yeah. And I honestly think it comes down to, they would say my, me or you know, my family or whatever, that we're strange, that we actually believe there's more to life than just pleasing yourself. Yeah, that's great. That it's just not about what makes you happy, which is, that is so countercultural. And not just, it's, it, I mean, to like not open Pandora's box, but not just what makes you happy, but this whole, just be you thing that's going on that we're like the our kids are hearing a lot of your truth your truth be you you know whatever and you do you yeah i mean it's kind of catchy i don't mind it (laughs) but um good job marketing people right (laughs) but at the end of the day this idea that you are living a life not about yourself not about yourself it's a sacrificial 
Um, and and it's it's complicated because on one hand you're you're choosing that, but you also feel chosen. That's why it's complicated, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're you're walking out in this. It's okay. It is okay to have a shot. Just side note: I actually physically cannot take shots. Like I don't. Like I can't get it. Good to know. Yeah, it's like a sip. Anyway, um, <laughs> and so <laughs> like if I like, there's freedom in that, of course. But then there's also this decision and this choice to say, but is this honoring God? Is this um, what's my motive behind that? And that would become that's a question for every decision, not just alcohol related. But so I think what. I think what people who aren't believers in our life, for Anthony and I and our family, I think that's what's strange, is that at the end of the day, you are living a life that isn't just to please yourself. You're not, we're not. So net that out. That, that yeah. impacts, they're going to think you're strange in the way you use your time. And, and. Money and, perceivably. And even like giving not up. Not living for yourself. And I keep coming to the word comfortable. I think that's probably a tension that we feel in our family is what's what's fun and life-giving to us and then what's just comfortable? What's yeah. like, where are we not making sacrifices? Where are we not feeling um, the joy of being generous and giving and, mm-hmm. and, and dying to ourselves? I mean, that's a weird, that's strange to yeah. say that you die to yourself. You're, you're constantly pursuing that idea of dying to yourself to put others before you and to put the love of God as your like, that's your aim. Mm-hmm. is to love him and love others. That's, mm-hmm. that's kind of weird. Prayer, prayer is, is very strange for, for most people, right, mm-hmm. to think about. Like, the, but what's even more strange to me, though, is the fact that it's pretty much widely accepted that sending someone positive vibes mm-hmm. is 100% fine, mm-hmm. totally fine, not weird. Nobody thinks that's weird at all. But if you <laughs> ask someone, hey, can I pray for you for whatever, you may get an eyebrow raised, mm-hmm. like, you, you know, like <laughs> I always read those things. Someone like, positive vibes sending, is totally normal, or like sending prayers your way. I'm like, no, please send them up. No <laughs> <laughs> one send them my way. John, you wrote a note here, uh, basing your life on an ancient text. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah I, that's weird. That's strange. Yeah, that's, that's I've been told that actually. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. lots yeah. when I interact with people. Mm-hmm. We think the so word your, of God's living your, and active. Your mm-hmm. morality mm-hmm. and your standards are mm-hmm. coming from a book. Mm-hmm. Thousands of years old. Mm-hmm. You don't even really know who wrote, right? That's I mean, awesome. these are the, right, right, right. the secular yes. arguments. It's just a story. story. Right. And, um, and don't you know it's full of this and this and this and this, and you're basing your life on it? Or keep going, you know? So you're basing your salvation, you're basing your life on a man who lived 2,000 years ago and rose from the dead. And rose from the dead. <laughs> yep. And the accounts, of, uh, the accounts of that are written in that book that you were talking about that you don't really know yeah. exactly who wrote and we don't have the original copy of. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's... Yeah. That is weird. You know, it's you're strange. right. I'm just... You're right. I'm just going to base my life on the book I'm writing presently. Yeah, right. How about that? Right, right. We'll see how that goes. It's, but yeah, no, it's strange. Somebody told me a while ago, um, and just there's all sorts of hangups and you can get all kind of uh, upset about what I might say. Oh, fun. Let's but if you are, if you're living your life on your street, in your neighborhood with your friends and, and they are not following Christ, they're, they are, they've chosen, you know, their own comfort over whatever. And they're not following an ancient text. They don't know Jesus. And your life is lived exactly like theirs from an outside perspective. So if I were to drive down that street and see, what, you, what your home looks like, what you drive, where you go for vacation, what you invest in, all those sorts of things, and they're exactly the same, you, you might need to make a change 
to be a little bit more hmm. strange. Now, I get it. There's a lot of Christians in Wheaton, and we interact. You know what I mean? There's, it's a difficult and complicated thing, but it was really helpful for me to think about we don't live our lives just comparing them to others. That's not what I'm saying. But the evaluative tool in our lives to help us navigate what we are entertained by, what we choose to dress, how, all those sorts of things, that can be a helpful measure to say, okay, um, maybe, maybe we need to check ourselves here a little bit in what we're focusing on. Are we actually pursuing sacrifice over comfort? And I realize it's different for every family, and but that I think that's a helpful. Yeah, but you also cannot tell that just by you can't driving by someone's house. No, you can't. You can't because there are plenty of very faithful Jesus-loving Christians in this community who oh. live in big houses and drive oh, nice cars, t- totally. compared to people who don't love Jesus and live different, have a different view from the outside. Agree. Yeah. Agree. So just you know. Yeah, I, that's what I said. I mean, you have to keep that in check. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. the only thing yeah. that we're doing, and it's not always. Yeah. But the person that shared this with me is somebody that does live in an amazing yeah. home and yeah. has a lot of resources. And they say the one way that we, when we go to make, you know, our our decisions, we need to think about: are we any different? Yeah. No, I see Are we just point. doing everything like the culture mm-hmm. all around us? I mean, that's what yeah. Christians have had to wrestle with for yeah. forever. And I'm not condemning or judging or saying, I'm just offering and a, we don't it's a, be it's strange. a helpful measure. We don't want to be strange for strange sake. The goal, totally. the goal yes. is not to be strange. Yes. Well, we don't go the, on vacation. We only go to mission strips. Right. You know, it's like, so, we're, okay, you're just trying is, to promote yourself. You know? I mean, if strange are the goal, it's just such a low bar. Yeah. So the goal is to follow Jesus following Jesus mm-hmm. will inevitably make mm-hmm. us strange. So if yeah. in surveying our lives we're not very strange, this is John's point, we're right. just, we look like everybody else, and we're, then we're probably not following Jesus because he stood out dramatically and right. his followers stood out dramatically. It's just the reality of the Spirit's work in our lives. It makes us, we'll stand a, apart from a world um, that's full of darkness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, one more thought on yeah. this. The measure that I come to and think about a lot is so the, the the few women in my life that I'm close to who are not believers I, I'm constantly asking myself if they're going to face a crisis in their life are they going to call me mm-hmm. and I think that if I'm if I don't look different to them if I if I'm if I'm if my values are the same or my decision making process or even the way like materialistically if our lives are the same I'm not sure that they would have any motivation or inspiration to call someone who looks just like them necessarily. In a, like I want them to know me as a person and as a woman who is going to love them unconditionally and commit to to be to prayer to be in prayer with them and to labor with them through whatever crisis they're facing in that moment. And I think that's what I try to think about a lot when. That's good. What's different is, are they going to call on me? If mm-hmm. I've been a faithful friend and you know sister to them even when things are great, you know, mm-hmm. and hoping that it's building a foundation and a relationship with them so that when life comes at you, they call me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it's really good. And at the same time, I mean, I can flip it. If you were so weird. Right. I divide. It was like a barrier. Yeah. Yeah. If you yeah. if you're so strange and <laughs> unapproachably strange. Oh, maybe I am a anti, little. Anti-culture, you know, like. Yeah. You, yeah. 
you know, well, we don't do go here, do this, yeah. do this, do this. They, they would have no way of interacting. Yeah. So it's that, yeah. it's that check of how in the world we're, we're in the world yeah. and out of it. We yeah. swim in the same water, right. and you know what keeps us afloat, mm-hmm. and what do we focus on when we're in it, and mm-hmm. are we any different than anybody else around us? So, yeah. it's a challenge. All right, uh, final question: How were people saved before Jesus? Were only Jews saved before Jesus came? Yeah, the way of salvation has always been by God's grace through faith in him, his provision. The, but the revelation of God has been unfolding over time. All right, it's always been the same method by God's grace through faith, but the understanding or the revelation has been unfolding over time. Here's what I mean. Paul said that Christ is a mystery, the mystery of God revealed. It's in Colossians. He several times calls Christ the mystery that has finally been revealed. His point is that revelation's been unfolding. That is, the the promise fulfilled, long-standing promise. It, in fact, it's as old as Genesis chapter three, verse fifteen, where God said, um, "The seed of Eve will crush the serpent's head." It's a, a theologians call it the proto-evangelion. It's the it's the declaration of a future good news is coming. So that mystery that's been revealed is the fulfillment of the promise given to Eve, given to Abraham. Abraham was promised a seed, a descendant, through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. It's Genesis 17. And so one great example, so it's always been by grace through faith. Yes, uh, non-Jews were brought into the Jewish into the Jewish household. Rahab's a great example of that. Um, it, it, so she, she sees that God is on the move, working on behalf of Israel. She's uh, a citizen of Jericho, and and uh, she's saved out of that as she acknowledges. Hebrews chapter 11, it's a New Testament book. Hebrews, it talks about the roll call of faith. Uh, well, she's one of those who are part of the faith of Israel, but a Gentile. I think of um, Jonah's preaching at Nineveh. In other words, God has had a heart for Gentiles. In fact, his desire is that, that people from every nation, language, and tribe will be present, Revelation chapter 7, at the end, through faith in Jesus. So lots of Gentiles were a part of God, mm-hmm. God's good work. Yeah, I think sometimes we, we miss that, especially when we re- we're in Deuteronomy. It's so focused on the nation of Israel. But in the very beginning of the Exodus, mm-hmm. it clearly states that the, 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 in the multitude, that there were other people with them, that there were Egyptians with them and likely other nation, uh, people from other nations that were trapped in Israel that had joined. They walk out with them. Yeah, in the Passover mm-hmm. text that, that we talked about, Adam talked about, mm-hmm. if you keep reading a little bit further, it says, uh, a foreigner residing among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all his males in his household circumcised, then they may eat and take part like one born in the land. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> God clearly makes provisions, uh, and all throughout the no- Old Testament narrative, there's all sorts of people who are faithful no God. I mean, Melchizedek, if you want to get into some mystery, who is this guy? There's all these people that are uh, part of God's story, part of the family of God, who are not um, ethnically Jewish, who are brought into the, the Israelite nation through circumcision or marriage, <laughs> Moses' wife, 
Zipporah was not a, a Jewish. Mm-hmm. And so there's all sorts of ways that God accommodated those who were not born in the land, born of the people. Uh, is, they About were, uh, not Israelites. Yeah, mm-hmm. Ruth. Moabite. Yeah, mm-hmm. Ruth. And yeah, there's, so anyway, the, how were people saved? It was always by God mm-hmm. and he always had made a way. The Israelite, the Israelite nation was supposed to be this holy nation, a light to the world, missionaries to the, to the Gentiles, mm-hmm. bringing them in. Um, showing them who Yahweh was. And there was always a provision through God's covenant to become a part of the people of God through his And so what they're ways. trusting in when they arrive in Israel, they're trusting in what Israel's trusting in, not the works of the law. Mm-hmm. Because Paul explains really clearly, no one's going to get justified by keeping the law, mm-hmm. which doesn't mean the law is bad. The law shows us our need for a savior. But what they're trusting in, Israel was trusting in, was the fulfillment of God's promises to them. And that's what Gentiles would join in. They join in the grace and favor shown and the faith offered. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text the Next Level Podcast, 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that Scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us. Thank you listeners for tuning into the next level. Boom! Prophecy.